Hello. Hello. I can hear there you. you. You can or cannot? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. I could hear it. You know, I, I could hear the sound in my headphones, but clearly you guys couldn't hear me. Well, on the bright side of things, it seems like we've lost Wayne. So, Awesome. <laughs> Mission accomplished, Aaron. Skype has improved our experience. <laughs> you like to add Wayne to the call? No. <laughs> well, now that I have a choice. Yeah. Well, if there's a choice about it, um, there's Wayne. Where's Wayne? It's right there. I was waiting for the call to start again, and I looked up, and the button was green to rejoin. Huh? So it was a Wayne issue. Wow. Yeah, it never rang. Sure. I said it never rang. Like, there was never a new call. Hmm. It can't Wayne all the time. I love it. Uh, I love it. <laughs> it's something he would say. I love it. I, I actually have a meme that I uh, I post sometimes that is, it's a it's sprinkling and it says Little Wayne, and then in the bottom there's uh it's like pouring a downpour, a hurricane, and it says a lot of Wayne. So yeah, I would probably say that. <laughs> uh, now I just feel dirty. When it wanes, it pours. <laughs> Missing all the good stuff on the show. Now, yeah. from now on, for the next hour and a half, no funny. I think, I think we need to wane ourselves away from this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys ready? Yes. Mm-hmm. This is Paul. This is Wayne. And this is Tim. So I'm a little concerned. I've been worried about you, Paul. Oh. Um, you know, there's a bunch of stuff in the news these days, and I just I, I find that I, I get a little concerned for you, Paul, because they're deporting a lot of uh, a lot of immigrants. And are you okay? Have they taken your green card? Not yet. Not yet. I think that Trump is a funny books fan, so he's not gonna mess with me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just checking, Paul. I just, you know, I didn't know if uh, we were going to need to, you know, check out our, our our international access. You know, I, I think it's somewhere in the fine print of that executive order that Paul is exempt. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, good deal. Good deal. I would worry more, Aaron, about Chicas Locus. Ah. Uh, oh no! That place. Oh no! <laughs> they are screwed. Yeah, I'm, now all of a sudden I am very concerned. I hadn't <laughs> thought about that before. I don't know how I'll sleep tonight, Wayne. <laughs> you know, I, it's always a comfort to me that, to know that that no matter what's going on in the world, there's always Gigas Locas. Aaron, you're going to sleep the same way you always do for an hour at a time before you have to go pee. <laughs> <laughs> not, not entirely untrue. <laughs> so we've talked about this before. But it's probably been about 100 episodes, so I figured I'd bring it back up. Uh-oh. Um, so recently, 
Uh, Wait, I, is it Spider-Man, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> is it Marvel Comics in general? Um, <laughs> no. Um, so I recently, uh, in my day job, got an office. Like an office office with a door and everything. Uh-huh. So my question for you gentlemen um, I who, who have... Well, the answer of, is no, it's not appropriate to get hookers in your office just because you can close your door. Ah. Uh, well, that was the second question. But the first question. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. What if, what if you're expensing it? Oh. You know. No, it, I it, I learned that one the hard way. <laughs> Corporate okay. Amex? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm sure they bill it as something. Uh... Consultants. Consultants. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I like it. Um, so how, how, so I have, um, I have taken in a couple of pieces of wall art, um, some of my original, uh, Superman art, cause I was building up my original Superman art collection. So I've got my, um, Superman by Yale Stewart that he did for me, the creator of JL8. Um, I've got the piece that Cully Hamner did for me of new 52 Superman. Um, mm-hmm. but my walls are still barren and I have this freaking bookshelf that's got like nothing in it. Uh, I mean, it, it. Like the person who had the office before me had a bookshelf and I have a bookshelf there and I have no books. I mean, I have no books. I have no work related books on which to put it. Um, So my question for you gentlemen is like how geeky is appropriate for this office? Um, You know, what, what do you have in your office? Do you have anything geek related in your office, Aaron? I do. I've got, uh, I've got my original piece of artwork of uh, beta Ray bill. It was the uh, first thing that Jake Ekus drew for me. Mm-hmm. He actually that it was actually I, I met him for the first time at a convention here in Dallas, and he had that hanging up behind him, and I fell in love with it. And I'm like, dude, I've got to have that. And uh, so yeah, it's framed and on my wall. I've got uh, I'm trying to think. I've got uh, a Darth Darth Vader figure uh, that I keep on my desk. It's a Darth Vader Darth Vader bobblehead. Uh, because I use, uh, you know, Darth Vader as my role model for management. Good, good, good. Um, um, I've got one, I got one or two other things like a Joker and, and whatnot, but I don't have a lot. It's and I actually have, yeah, I actually have books on my bookshelf. Oh, and I do have a great big uh, framed print of, uh, it's a 17th century French painting mm-hmm. uh, where when they, the, the art restorer who was restoring the painting was painting his own version of it. And so it's, it's completely accurate uh, except for the head and the head is a dog. Yeah. So I've it's seen got a dog on a, fr- on a French general's uh, body. Uh, okay, but that's, that's what I had. Awesome. Yeah. I can send you a picture of it. it it's, it's, it's great. I, I love that thing. But uh, anyway, that's so, what I've got. In my office, my office is pretty tame. Yeah, so I've done different things over the years. Uh, my magnet collection has been with me for three jobs now. And it, I usually will have a metal filing cabinet. If I happen to have all wood filing cabinets, I'll find somewhere metal to have the magnet collection. So I have a huge magnet collection that is uh, – I've limited myself to only Superman, Batman, and Spider-Man-related characters. So Because otherwise I would just go nuts. Mm, so know. I've got that. I usually I have uh, I had in my last office a uh, a bank of Rocket Raccoon and a crocheted Groot next to him. I've never really brought in the big artwork to hang up on the walls though. It's always been just kind of display things. I had a uh, an Enterprise the the one from Enterprise was uh, displayed on a stand at one point. Right now I really don't have a lot though. 
but yeah, it's I go very mild with it. I don't want to overwhelm. I don't want a lot of stuff around cluttering. And I've never brought in anything to put up on the walls. It's always been just a few things displayed here and there. Tim, anything in your work environment? Um, I have a couple of the Funko guys. Um, I've got uh, Nightwing and Batman and Thor. But other than that, no, not really. Okay. So it sounds like what I'm hearing is go subtle. That You know, that's my recommendation. I mean, I'm not going to go – I'm not going to, like, bring in, like, all my Funko Pops or anything like that. Yeah. But I have an empty bookshelf, and I'm like, what do I do with this freaking thing? Well, yeah, it's where you, you store all your absolute editions, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, having having visited your man cave this week – uh, you know, I was I was in Virginia Beach, and so Paul and I had dinner on uh, Aaron, Sunday. Is that just another word for his butt? Yeah, it's a, it's <laughs> a for his butt. <laughs> um, but you know, I was over at Paul's house, and I mean, his his man cave is choking, <laughs> is is full to the brim of of geek stuff, mm-hmm. full to the brim. So I I can see you're thinking, hmm, I could co opt some shelf space there. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I'm thinking, but I don't want to, do, you know, but obviously I don't want to bring in like action figures or anything like that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like I want to do something. Um, I want to do know, something to make it feel more home, uh, but at the same well, time, I don't want to go overboard. I I have tempered a lot of what I what I do, what I bring up there as to what is the cleaning lady's child going to want to play with on my desk. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I make sure I don't bring anything fragile because I just know, like, if I put one of my, you know, Starship Enterprises, you know, from Diamond Select on my desk, some kid's going to be running down the hallway with it in the middle of the night, going, rawr, 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 you know, I just, I just know that something's going to going to get touched or broken. <laughs> don't touch it. Yeah, yeah, it's for look, look, not play, play. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Well, I appreciate the advice. Uh, if you're listening. You know, put uh, go to ideologyofmadness.com. Let me know what type of uh, geek you have in your work environment, because I would like to I would oh, like well, to see what the balance is. Well, you didn't phrase it that way. The geek that I have in my work environment is chained up under my desk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, wearing the full leather and yeah, I was going to say, no, that's, that's gimp. Not <laughs> oh, oh, thank you. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Aaron, whenever Aaron types geek into his phone, it autocorrects to GIMP. To GIMP, yes, that's correct. It's clearly a word GIMP. he uses more often. Frequently, yes. <laughs> so, all right. Thank you. Appreciate the advice. I have Always enough. happy to help, Paul. Always happy to help. You're never happy to help. When did this change? I'm always happy to help myself. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Clarity. I appreciate that. Fair comp. <laughs> so let's talk about something else controversial Uh oh right right so so there's an article on bleeding cool and i'm just going to read like the first paragraph or two um to kind of set up what it's about uh this morning image comics announced they were to offer a line of variant covers the proceeds of which would be used to support planned parenthood there is no obligation on any retailer's part to order these variants but of late a number of publishers have been increasing the prominence of political analogs and characters in their superhero storylines from Modoc and the Penguin portraying the words of Donald Trump, Captain America titles paralleling extreme political divides in society, and Hillary Clinton appearing on the cover of Faith. Phil Boyle of Coliseum of Comics chain of the Coliseum of Comics chain of stores in California, excuse me, Florida, appears to have had enough and has expressed it in a strong message he sent to Bleeding Cool. He writes, "Publishers, get your politics out of my stores." Um, 
And, you know, he goes on to say, basically, get your politics off my stands, get political figures off the covers, get poorly disguised villains out of your books, get back to telling stories that don't remind people of the vitriol and bile being spewed from every direction. We have enough outlets for that. You're not being clever. You're not being altruistic. You're costing me the carefully built atmosphere that has allowed me to sell your books over the last three plus decades of all races, creeds, genders, and sexual orientations, as well as Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, and no doubt a few anarchists as well. Don't screw that up. Bravo. What? I see that I have differing opinions on this. Oh, so. no, I completely agree <laughs> with them. I am so sick of of the politics everywhere. I'm sick of it in comic books. This goes back even further than this, though. I remember an episode or I remember an issue of Justice League where they made President Lex basically be George Bush. And Superman is having to deal with the fact that he's going to invade a company with no, or he's going to invade a country with no clear evidence. And I remember being so pissed off at that because it just utterly pulls me from the story. Well, I and, don't want real world politics in my comics. I don't want real world politicians on the covers of my comics. And I am just utterly sick of being flooded with it everywhere. All right. So let me preface this by saying I don't... Uh, and, and not that Wayne did anything different, but I want to preface this conversation by saying we're not here to discuss our personal politics, but rather the the if politics belong in comics and in our comic stores. So you didn't do anything yep. different, Wayne, but I want people who are listening to say, oh, geez, they're going to bash Trump or they're going <laughs> to love on Trump because that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here yep. to talk about specifically should politics be in comics. And I actually have a differing opinion from you, Wayne. Yeah, see, I have a hard rule for me of I don't talk politics on social media or anywhere. It's just one of those nothing good comes from talking it online. So, so Paul, um, I strongly differ, strongly differ in opinion um, in that I feel like comics have always been mired in the social commentary of the, the current political landscape. Um Always from, you know, back in Superman's days of immigration and and Captain America punching Hitler. And as long as I've been reading comics, there have been there has been commentary about what's happening in the political landscape, whether it's Captain America, who during the Reagan administration quit being Captain America and became nomad. Or maybe that was the first Bush. Um, you know, there, there, there have always been those things when I've been reading comics. So. I don't know that anything different is happening today, except that we have a bigger outlet for voicing our concerns about about it. But as far as I'm concerned, comics are a product of what's happening in the world. So I don't know why we would want them to show anything but. So, Aaron, you're being older. Maybe you can uh, <laughs> maybe you can correct Pow. me with this. But it seems like right now in the political circuit. There's more vitriol and more anger and more everyone hating each other than there ever has been. Maybe that's not the case. Maybe it's just more visible because of social media and the fact that everybody is always online. But like in my case, I've given up Facebook. I don't use it anymore because there's nothing of value on it. All I see are both sides arguing and spewing hate towards each other. And I don't want to see that come into my comic books, too. Well, I'll say from my perspective, I, I think that this country is more divided now than it's been ever in my in my lifetime. Um, you know, whichever side of the aisle you fall on, I think that 
the the vitriol and angst and anger that revolve around a an election cycle has continued well past the election. Um, and and I, that I find that just incredibly disturbing. And it goes beyond, you know, oh gosh, you know, how do I surf my social media? It's how do you talk to your family? <laughs> you know, for the first time ever, I, I you know, I noticed at Thanksgiving and Christmas there were these gigantic commentaries about how to navigate the Thanksgiving dinner and the Christmas dinner with your when you're with your family because we are so divided. So that said, it doesn't surprise me that that Wayne, you're having the reaction that you are that you don't want it in your books, right? Um, I I will say I think that comics are at their most effective when they are commenting on society. Now, I'm not saying they need to, to have a special Hillary and, and, and Trump issue of the book, but when you have metaphors and, and uh, analogs of things that are going on today, I think those, those stories are, are pretty damn effective. You know, I'm not a fan of putting the elected official on the cover of Spider-Man. You know, uh, I was not a fan of putting Obama on the cover of that issue of Spider-Man. Um, I don't have a problem, though, telling an, an analogous story with Lex Luthor as president, and it may be uh, resonating with something that happened in a previous administration. I don't have a problem with that at all. There is a long history of politics in our comics. You know, you look back to JFK appearing in not just one, but a couple of epi- issues of Superman and Superman going off on missions. You know, of course, we lived in a different world then. That was before 1968 when we killed all of our, all of our uh, you know, political figures. Um, I, 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 I do not have a problem with it. I, I will tell you I prefer the straight-on political commentary to appear in a book outside of my comics. So, for instance, I don't know that I would want to see – I can tell you right now I would not want to see – Superman commenting on something going on with the Trump administration and the opposition to the Trump administration. However, I wouldn't mind seeing a, you know, a jam book much like Love is Love that was all about LGBTQ issues uh, that came out around the holidays. I wouldn't mind seeing a, a one shot of something like that that's kind of its own thing, that's outside of continuity, that is artists and writers, you know, speaking their mind. I think it's a great way to communicate ideas. The thing that I find so ding dang frustrating in the world that we're in right now is that no one's convincing anybody of anything. It's just who can shout louder. You know, there is no true political discussion anymore. It is I'm right, you're wrong, shut the hell up, I can talk louder than you, and the guy who talks loudest is the rightest, right? That's what I find frustrating is that there, there, no one is being enlightened by any of this, whichever side you're on, and that frustrates the living hell out of me because what's the point? If you, can't, if you can't win somebody to your side, what is the point of the discourse? Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said there, Aaron. The, uh, the what's the point if you're not going to win anyone because you're not, especially online. The – you know, the special books like you were describing, that's the perfect place to have something like that. Yeah. Uh, I think my issue with that – so do you remember that uh, Lex Luthor and Superman issue I was referring to? Vaguely. I, my biggest issue with it was the lack of subtlety, I think. I think if it were approached a little more subtle and wasn't – didn't feel like I was being hit over the head by the politics hammer, mm-hmm. then it wouldn't have been such a big deal. Yeah. That, that particular one, just there was no subtlety at all. You know, 
<clears throat> so, and Tim, I don't mean to cut you off if you want to say something in, in regards to this topic. Um, but for me, yeah, I'm I'm generally not a fan of real world figures in my comics. I feel it takes away from the fantasy element of the comic. So whether I whether it's a, a president um, like Obama and, and he's shown in a positive light, like because like in New Fifty Two. Super New 52 books had Obama as the president. Um, you know, it wasn't an analog. It was Obama. Um, and I whether, you know, it, it showed him in a positive or negative light, because they, they honestly didn't do one way or the other, I, I feel, for the right. most part. Um, I didn't care for it because I don't necessarily care for real life figures in my comics. That being said, I feel that's more of a personal preference on me. I get why they do it. And I, it's always been there. It's uh, or at least analogs have always been there. Um, but. I don't, I, I don't generally have an issue with it from a fundamental standpoint. Um, I, I see your point, Aaron, about how you don't necessarily want it in your monthly books. You know, like you don't want to open up issue, you know, nine hundred of, or I guess now it's twenty of um, <laughs> Batman, and and see you know Trump in 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 the pages of the comic book. And I get that. In general, I don't either. I just, but as far as a, a writer employing his personal politics so even it's a even if it's a thinly veiled analog like that superman um storyline that you're referring to wayne i mean i think that's what entertainment is i mean for for the most part i that's and that's why i want it to be an analog i want it to be a metaphor because if you if you file down the serial numbers right if you take off the branding then you can have a discussion Mm -hmm. you can you can you can you can explore the ideas. Now, I, what I don't want to have is a whole, you know, Oliver Stone sort of moment where they beat you over the head with "This is a bad man. This is a bad man." I mean, if you if you watched any Oliver Stone movie, that's what it winds up being. Yeah. This is a bad man, right? Um, but if you if you if you have a talented writer who can explore both sides of the issue and like it or not, whatever side you, you of the aisle you fall on, the guy on the other side has a reason that he believes what he believes. And you can't convince people one way or the other until you understand both sides. And I I, I welcome that kind of commentary in our comic books. Uh, what it requires is it requires mature writers. I agree. Yeah, I guess. I guess that's one of my issues is when I see that this has been done in comics, I've never seen a writer do that. They'd be able to explore the other side of the issue. It's always been one-sided. Even when comics have tried to do something that wasn't actually related to political anything with the, the first civil war, they thought that they were going to show both sides in the same light and they couldn't even do that right. on yeah. a completely fictional story. I think that if you if you go back to the Marvel 1960s, specifically the X-Men, that wasn't a story about mutants. No, not that, at all. That was a story about different people mm-hmm. and, and the struggles they went through. Um, I think to indicate that you don't want that in your comic books is ignoring the history of comic books. I, I completely history agree. The history of comic books is a space where you can you can make you can talk about those things, and you can talk about them in a in a you know a slant that that you said taking off the serial numbers, making it fictitious enough that you can have that, a discussion without yeah. the emotion that lets or people drop their guard. Yeah. yeah, I guess part of the problem part of the problem is in this day and age, because like I have no problem with social issues being in there. I just don't want political ones to be in there. And the problem is in this day and age they've merged. Well, they're all political. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, all of that's political now. Yeah. 
I mean, I mean, I'm it, not, I'm not sure. I like the whole. This is a liberal cover. This is a conservative cover thing. I, I think, and I, I, I agree. Heavy handedness is you can't, you can't have that. Like, well, you can, but I don't think I don't, I don't agree with it. So well, I could see a comic book owner going, I don't want these covers that basically say what you believe to be out there. You know? Yeah. yeah. I, I would not like that as a as a uh, retailer. I would not want to politicize my shelves. Right. I would not want. You know, you're alienating a whole lot of people by having a Planned Parenthood fundraiser in a comic book, right? Uh, and I'm not coming down on either side of that. I'm just saying there is a, a segment of our community who's not going to buy that because they won't have one penny go towards Planned Parenthood, just like if you're having an ACLU cover um, or a, uh, a, a National Rifle Association cover. I mean, they just there, – there is a segment of the community who's not going to buy that book. And as a retailer, why do I want to choose not to entertain all or most of my customers and just and, – and, and, and segment uh, yeah, you know, my customers? But I, I wouldn't want that, want that in my shop. You, I, you, I, what I would want in my shop is I'm going to raise money for X cause. Right. So, you know, a portion of today's proceeds go towards X cause. If I wanted to do that as a retailer, I wouldn't I would not want to. I wouldn't buy those books. I wouldn't have them in my shop or I would tell my customers, you know, you can, I'll special order them for you. Yeah. And in the case of this situation, and, and I don't think, you know, the the introduction to the article talks about the Planned Parenthood covers, not the the um, the retailer himself. But I. I mean, they are variant covers, and if a retailer chooses not to buy them or to buy them, it's up to them. I don't see a problem with Image doing variant covers that support mm -hmm. a cause that they believe in, or you know, or whether the customer chooses to buy them or not, or the retailer chooses to buy them is up to them. But I don't, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think it's appropriate for a retailer to say. I shouldn't say appropriate, but the fact that the retailer said, "Hey, don't do that at all," like. Keep your politics I, out of this. I don't agree don't, with that notion. Don't you think that it put it makes the retailer take a position, though? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, if if I am uh, a right to life guy, right, mm -hmm. and you know, it, Image says, "Hey, we're going to do these Planned Parenthood covers." If I feel strongly about that position, I may insert myself and say, "We're not going to support that." And then you put the retailer against his customer base. You know, it reminds me, and this is this is not a political thing, but it reminds me back in the '90s when uh, the death of Superman was happening, and my comic book retailer decided that he wasn't going to buy extra copies of any of those books because he thought it was a stupid storyline. I stopped shopping at that retailer because he made decisions about my buying practices. Now, here's and, the thing. I, I, I don't mean to cut. I, Oh, go ahead. I'll let you finish. <laughs> well, I'm just saying it. I, I would not. I think if I'm the retailer, it would piss me off that Image is having me make that decision, and they're putting me in a position where I've got to say I'm. I, I'm not going to make somebody happy, right? Mm -hmm. And they, they've created, in my opinion, a uh, a uh, an unnecessary conflict with my customer, and that's the last thing you want to have when you're a retailer, right? You want your customers to come to come to your shop and be happy about what they're getting and and what what they see there. Uh, I, I think that I, I think that I would not be happy being put in that position. And I, I'm of the opinion that a retailer can take one of two options with this. 
they can support those variant covers or not. <clears throat> you know, they they can support those variant covers and and basically here's your variant cover. You can buy it or not, depending on your personal beliefs. As a retailer, I'm not getting involved in the discussion. I have both options available to you, whether you want to support the cause or not. That's that that's that's one option. Another option is to go whole hog in or and and, and either and either not buy the covers because you don't you're not um, you know pro plant parenthood or go haul or or buy a bunch because you are pro plant parenthood um, you know and yes you you take the risk of alienating customers whether you go with that second option but I don't necessarily see you alienating customers by going with the first which is you have both options it is a variant cover um, you know you can as a as a customer I can choose to buy it or not I don't I'm not going to not support a retailer because they didn't get the cover. Um, but I will not support a retailer if they take a political stance that I, f- I won't say a political stance, but if I find something offensive at a retailer, uh, for example, just putting this out there, locally, there is a place, it's a pawn shop, and it says something along the, like on the front of it, it says, you know, um, we love jet noise. If you don't like it, go back where you came from. And I'm like, you oh, know, dear. <laughs> is it like close to the to the navy base or something i mean we're all i mean we're a military town but right. and i shouldn't even say where you came from it says where you're from and it's the wrong form of your um, <laughs> so that i find so offensive in and of itself oh yeah it's at worth, that point no you just you don't go there because of the grammar issue <laughs> but you know i wouldn't i wouldn't and 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 you know it, it it's not the first retailer i've seen like that um but well, I think about the when we when we're on the way to ManCon, and oh, yeah. you know, for what two years now, we passed the place that you know Obama must go. Yeah, you know, and it's a coffee shop, you know, <laughs> and I'm just like, well, I but mean, here's the thing: why if you want to wear your politics on your sleeve, that is up to you as a retailer, as a business owner. Fine, do whatever you want, and understand that you are going to have a customer base that fully supports you, and one that's not. But if you are concerned, uh, but if you want to support, in this case, in this gentleman's case um, of Coliseum of Comics, if you want to not alienate either base, then get both covers. It's a variant cover. You yeah, know? I don't think that works at all. I think that, that there is a seg. I, I think, yes, a reasonable person does not say, oh, well, you know, there's that one and there's that one, you know, and I have a choice or I can get the third one that's not political at all, whatever. Um, yeah, looking at my Facebook, there's not a lot of reasonable people left. That's my point. Yeah. That's my point is that we're so hyper politicized, I think that you choose to alienate people. You know, I I don't have a problem with retailers backing a cause. I think my my issue is a publisher forcing the issue. And I think that whether Image intended to do that or not, I think that's what they've done. And I just, I, 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 as a as a retailer, I would not care for that. So I think we're talking about two th- things here, right? Which is um, a retail, a publisher specifically supporting a cause and putting the retailer in an awkward position, and the other one is analogs for the today's political climate. And I think yeah. we are, for the most part, fine with analogs of today's political climate. So, for example, things that happen in Captain America, in today's Captain America books, that kind of thing. If we were reading Marvel books, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I think <laughs> as, we're generally okay with that, as long as it's intelligently as long as it's told. Subtle, yeah, as long as it's intelligent, subtle, and doesn't feel like you're being hit over the head by a yeah. hammer. I mean, because let's be honest, all the best examples of entertainment are analogs of the, the, the climate in which they were created. Yeah. Um, so that's just... That's historically true. Um, but as far as 
as the other position. It sounds like we have a bit of a differing opinion on it, but I, I would very be, be very curious to hear what our listeners think on, on this topic. I don't want to take the entire show talking about it, but it sounds like it's something that, I mean, it's it's clearly something that people have differing opinions on. So I would really like to hear what people think about this. Well, I, I plan to burn Paul in effigy later. So yeah. uh, if anyone wants to join me. No. But we were already going to do that before this topic, so it has but we're just piling this. on. We're piling yeah. on more kerosene. I'm I'm uh, I'm from the stab Paul party. <laughs> Burn Paul, stab Paul. But we'll have yeah. alternating covers. You know, yeah. you can you, you can, can uh, get the stab Paul cover or the Burn Paul cover. Whichever one sells more. You, yeah, we will judge you by which one you pick. Yeah, that's if, right. And if you don't like it, go back where you're from. That's right. Y O U R. Y O U R. Oh God. <laughs> so let's go as far away from political um, commentary as possible and talk about the new CW TV show Riverdale. Um, so Riverdale is uh, the the new modern day Archie. Um, series that has started on the CW uh, to generally positive reviews. Um, they have shown two episodes now. Wayne and I have only seen the first, but Wayne, I was very curious to hear your thoughts as to Riverdale. So as I'm watching it, the first thing I'm thinking is anyone that grew up on Archie comics and is expecting that is going to be really shell-shocked. Anyone like me whose first interest in Archie comics came from uh, Afterlife with Archie probably found some things to enjoy in the show this is it is a teen angst drama like you would expect on uh was it on cw yeah yeah it's what like what you would expect on cw but there were some things that were i was truly shocked as i was watching it the things that they actually allowed them to do with an archie property and i enjoyed it i loved the hell more than i thought i would I really loved it. And when we say, you know, um, it's a it's shell-shocked, I mean, the incestuous relationship with the Blossom Twins is front yeah, and center in the first 30 seconds of the show. Archie is, well, not still, but Archie was banging his music teacher. Yeah. Um, Archie is like a conflicted <laughs> character. Like, he's got Betty, Veronica, or the music teacher. Um <clears throat> And, uh, you know, there, it, it and is the only one he slept with is the music teacher <laughs> so far, so far. Oh, by the end of the serial, he will have slept with all of them, I'm sure. And Jughead. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, uh, and then, then there was the scene with uh, Moose and um, Kevin Keller. Oh, yes. Where they're having the they're getting out of the car, walking down to the uh, to the river. And Moose says, just because we're doing this, I ain't gay. And Kevin Keller looks at him and says, uh, "Okay, well, just to be sure, what's the rules? Anything but kissing." Yeah, I mean, they—they—it's—it's a, it's a very, um, very modern storytelling, very adult, and I thought it was great. I really did. Um, it's a murder mystery, um, so it's—it's it's got a—it's a more—it's—it's. It's, I, I, you know, I think the comparisons to other CW shows like Gossip Girl or Dawson's Creek or things like that are are obvious, but it, I find it a lot darker than any of yes, those shows. definitely. Um, I mean, I didn't watch Gossip Girl or Dawson's Creek or any of those, but it seems darker than any of the ads were for those. Yeah, it's it's certainly a more, not only is it more adult, it's definitely a darker feeling show. There is more conflict in these characters. Nobody's all good. Nobody's all bad. Um, you know, there are personal problems. If, if anything, Archie, who is typically, you know, as uh, white bread as they come, 
is one of the most conflicted characters in the show. Yeah. They one of the biggest changes I think was Betty is not rich. Or not Betty. Veronica is not rich. She was rich, but her father is going to jail for embezzlement, so they've lost everything. Yeah. You know That is a huge change. Yeah. I mean, the showrunner on the show is the same guy who writes Afterlife with Archie. So, you know, he he's and he, he's done a lot of work for Archie over the years, I should say. But um, if you are a fan of Afterlife with Archie, I really think you would enjoy the hell out of the show. It's not an it's not a zombie show um, yet. yet, but it yet. is a murder mystery um, front and center. That is it's it's very much about that. Um, you know, there's a lot going on and it. it incorporates a lot of the elements that people were shocked when they read Afterlife with Archie. Um, so I'm, I, I, that first episode was great. I hope the second episode is just as good. I'm looking forward to giving it a shot. Well, yeah. I meant to, I meant to record it this week and forgot all about it, but I did record the expanse premiere this week for season two. Ooh. And they, they did a nice, uh, two episode, uh, uh, premiere. Mm-hmm. And what I liked about it, I get so irritated with with double episode premieres because it's just two one hour episodes, right? Yeah. Well, they edited they edited this one all together, so it felt like a long movie, uh, and it was so damn good, Paul. Right. It was so damn good. I I just I, I just love the Expanse. It's so good. I, I I still haven't given it a shot, but I but I do see the first season is available on Amazon Prime, so I'm looking forward to yeah. checking that one out too. It is awfully good. Now, Paul, I, I, I emailed you this week about a documentary I found. Yes. Um, and so the documentary is called Hostage to the Devil, and it is about uh, Malachi Martin. It's also pronounced Malachi, but I've always pronounced it Malachi anyway. I'm sorry. Uh, who is a former Jesuit priest. He's a was a modern exorcist, and it's a documentary about his uh, – uh, you know, working in exorcisms throughout the 70s and into the 80s and the creepiest damn documentary I've ever seen. And I'm, I am I watched all but like the last 20 minutes of it uh, on Wednesday and then I watched the last 20 minutes of it last night sitting out on the deck and it's about midnight out on the deck. I'm having a cigar, drinking a glass of scotch. The the action in the in the documentary is getting more and more creepy and it reaches this high point and all of a sudden Netflix freezes on this one frame and the dogs explode off the back porch, uh, freaking out at the fence. And I got to tell you, there was this moment was like, Oh shit. Oh shit. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but everything was cool. There wasn't a demon in my backyard or anything. Well, but you wouldn't I, know I, this documentary. I mean, if you, it doesn't matter what you think about, you know, exorcisms and religion and whatnot, if you are a horror fan or particularly if you're somebody who is you know, trying to set a vibe in your horror RPG, highly recommend watching Hostage to the Devil. It streams on Netflix right now and it just came out. It was released straight to Netflix. All right. So it's really very entertaining and thought provoking and creepy as fuck. All right. I will check it out. Yeah. So I did check something else out this week, Aaron. Yes. For the cost of. A shiny quarter. A shiny quarter. A shi- well, really, it was a dirty quarter. And actually, if anything, it was a digital <laughs> quarter because I bought it but digitally. Um, oh, I, I was going to ask, which state quarter did you use, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the state of SunTrust. 
Um, so I bought The Walking Dead issue 163, the first chapter of Conquered, and I haven't read a Walking Dead comic in probably 63 issues, honestly. Um, and, uh, you know, the reason I picked this up is because it was a quarter and I was like, oh, great, that means it's going to be a new reader-friendly issue. You know, they're going to bring in folks, you know, this is the start of a new arc, blah, 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 blah. I didn't get any of that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I would say this probably was not new reader friendly. Now, I'm I'm absolutely current on the Walking Dead comic, mm -hmm. and uh, I would have thought that they would have made the the more reader friendly issue the next issue, 164, because this one really does pick up at the end of the Whisper War, um, which is pretty damn badass it was the the preceding arc and that they had been building up to this uh storyline for a while but damn no uh it uh I, I don't believe that this was new reader friendly at all yeah i mean it now that's not to say it was bad or anything i mean in fact it, it, it was it, it had some good scenes you know lots of zombie action which hasn't i, I don't know that that's all too frequent anymore in the pages of the walking dead i think it's more about the 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 characters than it is about the zombie action but we had some a ton of zombie action zombie hordes slicing and dicing and shooting and stabbing and things like that um so maybe that's why this particular issue was chosen because it reflected more zombies but i i didn't i, I they you know rick's look has changed quite a bit from when the last time i read the book and right. it's certainly different from it was in the TV show. So, you know, it took me a little while before I realized that was Rick. Yeah. Um, you know, so even if you watch the TV show and you pick this up, it, it it's probably a good six pages in before someone says, Rick. Yeah. Um, and, and you realize that that's who you're looking at. Well, I I really enjoyed the story. Uh, but I've, I've enjoyed Walking Dead throughout its run. Um, I think they, they do new and interesting things. I know you get irritated with the storyline of, of building up and, and you know crashing into chaos and building up again. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I have really enjoyed, particularly the Whisper War. The Whisper War was so damn good. And this is picking up, I mean, literally moments after the end of the Whisper War. Well, and so if you're a Walking Dead fan, you're probably just appreciative for the 25 cent issue. If yeah. you haven't been picking up Walking Dead, you, you might have picked this issue up for 25 cents, but I don't think they're going to inspire any new readers. Now, I, I will say I think the 25 cent price point is super cool. Um, Walking Dead can probably only get away with that because they have the number one television show on TV right now. Uh, so, you know, there's that. But, I man, I just love it when when, when – when a publisher does something like this to bring people back on board. Uh, I, I just, I, I, I think that it, Marvel really should learn this lesson. Um, there are so many books that, that I'm interested in over at Marvel. Uh, for instance, I would have given that Darth Maul story a, uh, a chance this week. And I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but the price point was too high. Yeah. Uh, uh, Monsters Unleashed again, story I'm interested in price point was too high. Um, you know, and, and I, when I when I look over at the quality that I get from DC Comics at two ninety nine, um, I, I have a really hard time paying a four ninety nine price. Agreed. So, but yeah, uh, I, I'm I Walking Dead. I'm, I'm still in both on the TV show and the comic. I like both of them. Okay. Well, from Robert, I picked up another Robert Kirkman book this week, Invincible number one thirty two. Invincible. Uh, Invincible. You know, and I've talked about a while about how I get in and out of Invincible. I don't read it regularly. You know, I get sick of it. 
because it you know it bores me yep. and then something interesting happens and so i get caught up so i got caught up on like the last seven issues yep. something interesting like them announcing it's gonna end yeah and so that's why i picked this issue up it is the last issue before the final story arc so it's setting up the the end of all things which is their big final story arc and so this is you know, something big does happen in this issue, and and spoiler warnings on. Well, I, I probably won't spoil it because I, I think some people here um, read it in trade. Um, but uh, you know, a major character is is killed. Aaron, do you still read it, or can I spoil it? You can spoil it. I haven't read Invincible in a very long time. Okay, so um, Mark's brother Oliver is killed in the pages. Of this no, <laughs> why'd you spoil it? <laughs> um, and then you know, I, I just. One thing that bugged me very much about this issue, Wayne, yep. is that Mark and Adam Eve, or Atomic Eve, whatever the hell she is, yep. Eve, Mark and Eve, Eve. are both killed um, by Viltramites. And Eve, like, in the moments right as she's about to die, you know, her powers, like, go on overload and she repairs them. And they come Which back to life two pages saw later. that one coming a mile away. Yeah. So I was like, it, this is bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, it was like, as I'm reading it, and I'm seeing them get, the moment I see her get hurt, I knew what was going to happen. Yeah. It's like, okay, this is going to happen again, because they did that once. When they did it the first time, where it looked like she was killed, I read it, and I was all pissed off, because it didn't, they didn't heal her until the next issue. And she was one of my favorite characters. This time, when it happens, it's like, oh, well, she has a power, she can bring it back. It's like when Wolverine gets hurt. Yeah. Well, and the fact that she couldn't save Oliver because he had been dead too long. I'm like, he was dead 45 seconds longer than you. <laughs> that is a and, cop out. And we've seen that them take that kind of damage and survive. Yeah. I mean, Mark has been, has actually been hurt worse than he was in this issue and, and survived. Um, so it, the issue felt a bit, you know, they, they went for the dramatic effect, but it was... <laughs> ineffective because we've seen this yeah. all before and that's one of the reasons i keep hopping out of invincible because it's the uh, same shit yeah i mean i like the book i have liked the book for you know since the beginning i like the story arc leading up to this it was just this issue it was so telegraphed and it was so everything we've already seen before and they can't shock value me with showing how horribly someone's hurt anymore because we've seen it we've seen how bad he's been hurt and survived it it doesn't have that impact anymore. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know Robert Kirkman really likes writing um, Mark and Eve's daughter. But I gotta say, the kid is, like, traumatized, blood all over her face because her parents are dying. They come yeah. back to life. And her first statement is, I could see your butts. Like, yeah, dude, and your the kid. Blood, <laughs> like, come the on. blood is all cleaned up, too. Yeah. Apparently, Eve's power took the time not just to heal them, but to clean up their daughter. Yeah. It was uh, it, it to your point. It was telegraphed, and I thought it was poorly a poorly told story. Um, but that being said, I'm still gonna pick up the first issue of the the final story arc and uh, see how I feel about it. Yeah, I've read every issue. I'm going to read it until the end. It's going on to the last story arc. Yeah. I typically I do like the book. I just this issue was too much of everything we've already seen, too telegraphed, and it is one of my complaints. Is the book loves to try to do the shock value damage but it doesn't have an impact because they've done it too much it's overdone yeah agreed well let's talk about something that actually was shocking this week 
I mean, shocking, I guess, to everyone except him, because he's been saying for a while now <laughs> that he wasn't fully committed to it. Uh, ben Affleck has stepped down as director of the new Batman film, saying that uh, he, he can't focus on playing such an iconic character like Batman and at the same time directing a film of this magnitude. And it's a legit reason. I, I, I actually have no qualms with the reason. I just, uh, it seems like there's a lot going on over in that DC universe cinematic universe that's a cause for concern between you know ben affleck leaving this project and the director of the flash leaving that project is currently without a, a director um it's a bit concerning yeah a little bit i mean i don't understand why that decision wasn't made sooner you know i mean I, I, of course he's directing a movie called batman he's going to be in every single scene yeah and it's going to be a big budget film. I mean, the, it's yeah. not like he's directing, you know, he was able to be in Argo and some of his other directorial efforts because they're not $160 million budget films or more, right. um, whereas Batman would be. So, yeah, it's 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 overwhelming. And I think he made the right choice. Um, I hope they find a good director. But, you know, I, I it, it is just it's a concern for me that things just seem to be in constant flux over there. See. I find the concern more the movies they've actually already released, personally. <laughs> so, yeah, I am pretty much... I find myself, I just don't care. They DC has completely lost me with the cinematic universe. And I want to come back. This movie was one that I probably would go see in theaters because as many issues as I had with Batman versus Superman, Ben Affleck as Batman was not one of them. Right. He nailed the role. So... A movie with him as Batman, uh, they have they're gonna have to pick a really like a director I seriously have a problem with, or have really bad trailers for me to not go see that in theaters. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I'm, I'm regardless. Well, I shouldn't say regardless. It really depends on who they choose as a director. Um, but I, the fact that Ben Affleck is and Jeff Johns are participating in the writing, so is Chris Terrio, who who's worked with Ben Affleck on Argo, you know, Academy Award winning. Argo. Um, I, I think we have a good creative team there. Um, I just hope they choose the right director to step up and take it. Because I think th this film, unlike The Flash, which seems to be in, in, in genuine flux, I think Batman's going to press forward no matter what. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, that, it's happening, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the, but, but, you know, they've got to do it soon. So, I mean, they, they've got to find their director quick. Yeah, absolutely. Because they, they, they don't really have a pro – they don't have something – actively in front of cameras right now. Um, well, and that's what amazes me. I mean, you know, Marvel has a slate of, you know, anywhere between two and three films a year right now, and DC's having a hard time getting one out the door. Yeah, I mean, they've got the two this year, Wonder Woman and, and Justice League, but they have nothing yeah. filming right now, and that's that's got to be a concern for them. Yeah, I would I mean, think, I think so. that's one of the reasons they greenlit that Gotham City Sirens movie, um, because they knew they, they had actors in place, they had a director in place, they could get that moving uh, quickly. Uh, yeah, well, and Harley watch. Quinn was your only Harley Quinn was your only hit from Suicide Squad. So, yeah. yeah. So anyway, speaking of Batman this week, Batman number 16 came out from DC Comics featuring I am Bane part one. Uh, I am Bane. <laughs> I am Bane. Um, written by Tom King, art by David Finch under a shitty ass cover by Tim Sale. Aaron, I mean, no, the David Finch cover was great, but that Tim yeah. Sale cover was was it was another bad well, one. Yeah, another. But I mean, just ugh, you're just terrible, just terrible. But I gotta tell you, Paul, I love this book. I love this book. Uh, I, I and go ahead. I'll let you finish. Well, I, I wasn't particularly wild about some of the artwork in the book. Um, for instance, when you get all the 
all of the sidekicks together and they all look alike, yeah. even though they're not blood kin, uh, irritates me. You know, I, the, in fact, Damien just doesn't look like a child. He looks like a small adult. And that, yeah. that's one of the, one of the renderings that I, that I just hate. I, I, I think that Damien should look, you know, young. He should look like a child and, and they just, that he was not drawn that way. But I got to tell you, Paul, I am ready for a bat burger. <laughs> right. That was, yeah. I loved that sequence, that entire scene in this God, book. It made the book. Yeah. It made the book, the, the bat burger fast food restaurant where you can get, you know, a bat burger, a bat burger deluxe, uh, oversized. You can get a bat mite meal. You can get night wings, <laughs> Robin nuggets, a KG BLT. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see how far he can go. Keep going. Riddle me fish. Riddle me, riddle me fish. <laughs> Killer Croc Monsieur, uh, Two Faced Sandwich, and Ivy Salad. It's not poison. Yeah. <laughs> and you can jokerize your fries. You can jokerize your fries. Yeah. And watching Bruce Wayne order at the Bat Burger was hysterical. And watching him eat his burger with a knife and fork and watching. Uh, you know, the uh, the Batwing guy, I forget his name, but he's like, is this a thing? Is this what, what he does? And they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, orphan boy raised by a butler. <laughs> I, 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 I got a big kick out of that. You know, I, I, I thought it was a great scene. I had some issues with the art, not just um, not just yeah. the portrayal of the three sidekicks. Um, well, the. There's there's like that that panel where uh, Batman's leaping onto the roof, you know, at uh, Gotham Central and his, you know, they're trying to do this foreshortening thing, but it just makes him look like he's got a wildly longer left leg than right leg. Yeah. You know, and I'm just like, God, this is just drawn so poorly. Well, and some of my issues, honestly, were more about the um, the storytelling in the artwork. Uh, You know, Bronze Tiger in the first sequence of the book saves Batman. But you don't get that impression like, you know, a police officer has been um, has been, I guess, bribed or whatever, you know, uh, compromised by Bane to kill Batman. And when the sequence first starts, you just assume Bronze Tiger is attacking him. Then all of a sudden things are happening. And I'm like, what? Like, I had to go back and reread the scene to make sure it wasn't me. Yeah. Um, And I think that was a a poor storytelling choice, the way it was told. Uh, Agreed. It it was very confusing, as was the sequence that you mentioned with the Bat Burger, where he's cutting it with a fork and knife. When when they said, is that really how you eat a burger? I'm like, wait, what what are we talking about here? And then I, I had to go back and, like, get that, you know, the line of sight was directly to this, and that's what they were focusing on, and that's what they were talking about. Well, and and look at how that page is drawn, Paul. So, uh, just to demonstrate how poorly uh, this is illustrated, Bruce Wayne is sitting down at the table, right? And then, if you're following the panel, if you're looking at how it's drawn, he stands up to cut the the burger. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Yeah, I mean, and it's like... It's like the artist is very immature. You know, he doesn't he hasn't figured out how to draw certain things. And so instead of drawing it how he would actually do it, he he crammed that in. Uh, and I just it was uh, it, visually the story was not well told. Yeah. And however, I, however, the Batburger sequence was just hysterical. Yeah. And not all the art was bad. I'm actually a David Finch fan. I just feel like some of the storytelling choices were a bit confusing. And I will say one thing about Tom King that I'm. I'm learning and I'm not a fan of. 
even though I enjoyed this issue, Aaron, mm-hmm. is that he's not he doesn't give anything time to breathe, right. which is we're already dealing with Catwoman after the events of last issue. It feels like right. it should be a year before we see Catwoman again to really make right. what happened in the last issue have any impact. Same right. with Bane two issues ago. Two issues ago, Bane was like, I need Venom. And two issues later, he's in Gotham on his already taking right. revenge. And I'm like, but like, it seems like some time should pass right. between those stories. Well, and we know that not much time has passed because Gotham Girl hasn't even gotten one treatment yet with the Psycho Pirate, which was the whole reason they went and, you know, took Psycho Pirate from Bane to begin with. Right. And I don't know if I just didn't catch it in the previous storyline with Bane, but I, I the the fact that you had to use Psycho Pirate to overcome the addiction to Venom was made much more clear in this book than in the previous storyline. I agree. Um, now I don't think that it was David Finch. I don't know. I felt like David Finch had some help on this book because I think David Finch is a better artist than we see in this book, unless these pages were very rushed because there, there were, there were some of the panels just seemed amateurish. Yeah. And perhaps that was it. Maybe it was a bit rushed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, it's not, I know we're being critical of this issue, but it's because with this creative team, we've come to expect more. And right. uh, I will say the final page, even though totally a cop out, like we totally know that what what's happening is not what's happening. Oh, no, that's what happened, Paul. No, that's those guys me. are all dead. Oh, yeah, yeah I'm Red, sure. Red Hood's dead. Uh, uh, Nightwing's dead. And, uh, you know, Robin is dead. They're all dead, Paul. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're, they're all just, no, they're, they're all, they're all dead. No. They can't draw that there if it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it, it, Batman walks into the Batcave and the bodies of Tim, oh, not, not Tim Drake, Tim Drake's already dead ish, um, <laughs> of Damian Wayne, Dick Grayson and Jason Todd are hanging, um, in the, in the Batcave with I am Bane, uh, spelled out in blood on them. But you kind of know those aren't the actual guys. No, those are them. <clears throat> totally are them. them. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I, I will continue with the storyline despite my qualms with this issue. Um, I, I love the Batburger scene. The Batburger scene made the book. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think Tom King's got a good handle on Batman. Um, but I agree. I think some of it's happening really fast. Um, I feel like he, there is, there should have been more time for Batman to have started treatment with Gotham Girl than the you know two days since they got back from you know, from uh, liberating Psycho Pirate. So I just seems strange to me. Yeah. So um, one thing I do want to talk about is the back of the book, since this is the first DC book we're talking about today, which is the preview of the upcoming The Wild Storm from Warren Ellis. Uh-huh. And I will say, I picked up the Wild Storm books when they first came out. The Jim Lee, you know, Image Comics, Wildcats, and Death Blow, and... Um, Stormwatch and, and those kinds of books. And I didn't really care for them, but that's probably because, you know, some of those guys were, were artists, not writers. Right. Um, right. And, and that story was a bit too complicated for, for their storytelling techniques. I, I, that feels, that sounds like a dick thing to say, but you know, some of these guys just couldn't tell a story that complex. Um, and, but Warren Ellis can, and I'm kind of looking forward to this book, Aaron. Really? I'm kind of going to give it a shot. I like Warren Ellis. I just don't like the Wildstorm characters. I don't either, but I feel like if anyone can make me like them, it would be him. And uh-huh. reading this stuff, I don't know. if Did you read the, the, the little essay? No. 
I read the essay and it's very blunt. I mean, he's very blunt about, you know, the issues with how it was told, the issue, you know, when DC approached him and and things like that. Um so, and, and what his his plan is. And so I, I I appreciated the honesty in which he he wrote this little essay and um I I'm going to at least give the first issue a shot. It sounds like I'm going to be alone, but I'll let everyone know how it is. So, Paul, is that some of that airplane noise that uh, that we've been hearing about? If you don't like it, go back where you're from. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yes, yes, it is. <laughs> so Superman the 16 uh, out this week, comp- uh, uh, concluding the the Superman multiplicity storyline. Um, who all read this one? Me and Wayne. Yep. Me and Wayne. So, Wayne, tell me what you thought. You know, I've enjoyed the storyline, but it just feels like it missed, like, a big oomph at the end. I was like, I, I like the issue. I like Superman in the issue. But it's missing a lot of what I enjoy about the book, which was the supporting cast. And what I did, there was this, something I just didn't get, is that all of these characters have had their powers drained. You have all these Supermen who have no powers at all anymore, and they're digging a hole in the big Superman, you know, hole. And suddenly when the others arrive, they all get powers back and their symbols are glowing. I didn't understand what was going on there. Paul, would you like to explain it to him? No, I'm going to let you explain because I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't follow a goddamn thing that happened in this book. I was like, what the fuck am I reading? Did Grant Morrison write yeah. this? Yeah, I didn't get it either. I didn't understand why their powers came back or why their uh, their their S shields uh, glowed either. Uh, despite that, I enjoyed the book rather a lot because I always enjoy seeing all the alternative, uh, you know, alternative universe Supermans getting together and, you know, a return to Super Rabbit. You know, I was concerned that we were going to lose Super Rabbit, but uh, he's back. <laughs> he's back. He's back. Um and, you know, we get a glimpse. This this actually, you know, tied into, uh, uh, you know, the, the rebirth uh, storyline, the, you know, the, the, the big, you know, rebirth number one that we got in 2016. We do see a return of that guy with the with the shepherd's crook, you know, who who apparently is gathering up people, you know, such as Tim Drake. And now he's gathered up this prophecy villain. Um I, I dug it, but you know, again, I, I didn't understand some of the stuff going on. But I, I, I love the the design of that ship, the Ultima Thule. Um, I like seeing that on the page. Yeah. So I, I like. I think I think you could have taken out all of the narrative, and I would have enjoyed just looking at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I enjoy Superman interacting with the other characters, and let's face it, if it's a big story, you got to have a flash die. Right. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think my problem with it was just. It didn't make sense. Uh, you know, here's the thing. And I'm a huge fan of Pete Tomasi. And, and we, we all are on the podcast. I think Pete Tomasi works best when he's telling honest, heartfelt stories. And I feel like that's where this book started. And it feels like every time they step out of that, it doesn't work as well. Yeah. Um, you know, well, and I, I also didn't quite gather, you know, beyond why all their powers came back and why their their chests were glowing. Um, I also didn't understand why the Flash died. I understand he had to run really hard, but I don't understand why he had to die. Other than it's a crisis, so a Flash has to die. Um, I, I just it seemed I was like I don't really understand why he died. Yeah, you know, I it just so it, I, I I think there was a lot that I didn't understand about this book. Agreed. 
so let's um, one thing before I want to move on to the next book. Um, DC announced since the last time we've recorded. Actually, it was before the last time we recorded, but we didn't talk about it. So I'm going to talk about it now. A book that I'm very excited about, Aaron. Very excited. It is written by Steve Orlando and Scott Snyder with art by Riley Rosmo. And it is Batman and the Shadow. And I, I, I am so on board. I hope it's good. You know, I like Scott Snyder. I love Batman. I love the Shadow. I hope it's a good book. I'll pick it up with you, Paul. It comes out in April. And uh, I, I am so on board uh, with with these characters. Two of history's greatest vigilantes are reunited at last. Murder has come to Gotham City, and Lamont Cranston appears to be the culprit, but he's been dead for over fifty years. Um, you know, I, we've talked at length about how I've always I've been wanting a good shadow story for a while and haven't been getting it. Uh, I think if anyone can give it to me, it would be Scott Snyder. So we'll see. Wayne's on board. Snyder. Scott Snyder is aching to give it to you, Paul. He's aching. Ache, he's, aching. He's been dreaming about it. <laughs> he's going to give it to you hard. Give me some of that sweet shadow action. Mm. Mm. <laughs> well, on that creepy note. In your pants. <laughs> <laughs> so, huh. <laughs> he knows what evil lurks in my heart. Um, That's right. And in your pants. And in my pants. <laughs> so uh, Tim reached out to me the other day and said, hey, you know, are we recording this week? And I said, yeah. Uh, he said, what what book should I read? And I said, you know what seems like it would be up your alley? Green Lanterns number 16 featuring Simon Baz and Jessica Cruz. You know, this is a team book, you know, like a buddy cop book. But they are in Gotham City teamed up with Batman. And I read the issue and I was like, you know, this seems like a Tim book. And so I, I recommended it to Tim and I'm. I hope, I hope Tim's not going to stab me. Let's see. <laughs> I feel like I feel like it's one of those things where Paul needs to recommend a book to every everybody once a week, and it was just my turn. It was your turn <laughs> in the barrel. It was my turn in the barrel. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think Simon Baz should have come with a, a title. Simon Baz angry for no reason. <laughs> yes. He's very angry for nothing. And I don't get it. Like. Batman's completely right. You have a power ring. Do you really need a side holster? Like, I don't... He's like, oh no, I need it. These rings fail. Well, the rings are based on willpower, right? <laughs> like, if you keep saying it's going to fail, it will fail. <laughs> um, I, 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 I'm a fan of Jessica Cruz. I like the art in this book. And what they're doing in this book, the, the story about people in Gotham becoming irrationally afraid um, was very much what I thought Simon Bass said. He's like, because, OK, so the story is Batman calls them. Batman calls these two to Gotham City. Um, I don't know why he doesn't have any of the other, you know, three of them on speed dial, but whatever. And because uh, I, I guess they're they're the Earth protectors and the other ones aren't. Something. Correct. Anyway, so uh, this, this, basically, he, he's calling them in because he th he suspects it's you know the Yellow Lanterns, and their first thing is it's it's fear in Gotham. It's got to be Scarecrow. And Batman's like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> like that's <laughs> not the first thing I, I thought. Like, that's not the first dumb? thing I tried. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. 
I don't know, but like longtime listeners would be uh, would would not be surprised if I like yellow lantern scarecrow. So uh, I yeah, that's probably why Paul Paul said yeah, you probably check this out. Um, so yeah, I there, there's a it's a solid book, Paul. It was it was a B for me. It's a um, B. I would give it a solid B. You know, I do think uh, I I actually even though it was not the best told, I I liked the conflict. Between Simon Baz and Batman about the gun, the fact that he got so angry so fast, I was like, "What?" But at the same yeah. time, um, you know, th- this is not the first time this has come up, but it's certainly you know the first time Batman's addressed it, and I, you know, it, it's it's kind of been this ongoing thing, like, "Why do you carry a gun?" And he's like, "It's my backup." But I feel like they're going to keep coming back to it, especially now that spoilers, Alfred's pointing a gun at him at the end of the issue. Um, so maybe this is where you know we see some progression in Simon Baz's character. Zone gun, yeah, <laughs> or swoggled by me own gun. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll... it was a, it was a solid B book. I I, I think that the 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 pairing of these three is interesting, and so I think I'm going to flip through because I also want to know how scared. Well, I want to know how this is happening. This 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 fear virus, basically. Yeah, I want to know how. I, I mean, I, I like right. I Scarecrow is one of my favorite Batman villains to begin with. So, and and he's so underutilized because you don't see Scarecrow very often anymore, um, no. especially as, a, as the main villain. Sometimes you see him like pop up in the background, but as the main villain, he's very underutilized uh, in recent years. So, seeing him and back in the Yellow Lantern stuff, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to check out the storyline. And I, I I have not been reading Green Lanterns. I picked it up just because of the cover. Um, and so that's why I'm, I, I, I gave it a shot and I'm on board for the storyline. Mm-hmm. I would agree. So Paul did not steer me wrong. I'm putting the Paul knife back for this week. Woo! So let's talk about another Green Lantern book that came out this week, Planet of the Apes and Green Lantern number one from Boom Studios and DC Comics, written by Robbie Thompson and Justin Jordan, art by Barnaby Bagenda. Guys, Wayne, Aaron, what did you think? Aaron, I want your take first. Um, I, I will start with my general take. Uh, I like this book a great deal. Uh, I was very entertained by this book. I, I particularly enjoyed one of the reasons I don't read Green Lantern anymore is that it's uh, all about internal fighting between the different spectrums of the of the uh, of the rings. And that's actually commented on in the book, you know, where you know they make uh, one of the lanterns says, you know, I really miss when, you know, it wasn't always the spectrum fighting. Um, and I'm like, yes, me too. Uh, you know, if you could, if you could ditch all of those other, you know, spectrums or at least not show them in every single issue, uh, I, I'd be a lot happier. But I, one of the things, you know, I enjoyed the book. I, I thought, you know, uh, seeing Cornelius with the power ring was a lot of fun. What one of the things that as I'm as I'm reading the credits page, I got pretty cheesed about is there are a, about. Um, almost a dozen variant covers for this book and not a single one is available in the digital edition. Oh, that's disappointing. I didn't, yeah. and, I didn't read and, that. So I didn't catch it and look at who all the variant covers are by. Uh, I'm just going to throw out some of the names that you'll recognize. Uh, you've got uh, Gabriel Hardman, uh, Felipe uh, Masafera and George Perez with inks by Jerry Ordway. Uh, but I mean, there, there's you know a whole bunch of other uh, variant covers, but they're not 
available digitally. That's about- and that just that, you know, it didn't cost them a goddamn thing to do that. Um, there's no reason not to do it other than you're going to you want to push someone to go buy that variant print cover just so that they can see it. But I mean, come on, come on. Uh, I, I was super uh, disappointed in that. Um, but I enjoyed this book. I thought it was well drawn. I thought the story was well told. <laughs> I got excited there for a moment where I thought Nova was going to get a power ring because I thought that would be fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, but uh, I, I dug this book. Um, I, I now I will say I did not think the artist did a very good job at likenesses. Like for instance, Cornelius and, and uh, Zira look nothing like not not only do they not look like the actors, they look nothing like traditional Planet of the Apes uh, costumes. So you know, it seems to me that that it was almost a uh, cartoon of those Planet of the Apes costumes. Yeah, I completely agree there. The artwork, the art isn't bad. It just isn't. It well, isn't made to look like the characters we know. Well, if you compare it to Tarzan on the Planet of the Apes, which we talked about last week, mm-hmm. and the artwork, I mean, where you can, it's like, damn, that's Zira, right? Damn, that's Cornelius. Uh, that it, he, this artist doesn't, isn't even trying to have them look like the actors. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, so, as I was reading through this, there's a couple things that jumped out at me that I really enjoyed. Yeah, it's maybe cliche and expected, but I enjoyed Hal Jordan on the beach saying "Damn it all to hell" in right. front of the Statue of Liberty. Right. I, I just I did enjoy it, even though it's like I said, it's cliche. It's kind of expected, but still. Now, one of the me. I will say there was an art choice in here that I just upset me, um, and that is uh, with the Rage Kitty Dexter. Yes, the big head. And, yeah, and, and you know, Dexter is a cat. He is not uh, typically drawn. He is not anthropomorphized. He's not yeah. a furry, right? He's, he's and, not an alien cat. He's a cat. Right. And, uh, well, he is an alien cat, but he's a cat, right? He he is not uh, – isn't he Isn't he an alien cat? He's no. not an earth cat. He's, a, he's an earth cat. Is he really? Okay. Well, they have him anthropomorphized here in one of the scenes where, where he's attacking a Green Lantern. And I mean, he's got he's got legs and arms and, you know, he looks like a furry as opposed to looking like a cat. But on the very next page, he's back to being a cat. Yeah, I agree. And that was I, I thought that was a poor choice. And it was blatantly obvious. It, yeah. it, it was so wrong. It took me out of the moment. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think I, I, I like the art in general. I know we're being critical of it. I, I, I like it, it kind of yeah, reminded I, me of Aspen Comics a little bit, that kind of art, like that Mike Turner type right. style. No, but some choices the, were, were not good. Correct. I mean, I, I, I was just aware of, you know, these the apes did not look like the apes from the movies or the early television shows. Right. Yeah. Um, they looked like something else. Uh, but I did think all of the Lantern characters looked appropriate, with the exception of that one panel with Dexter. Now, one thing I do want to say, story-wise, that I didn't care for was Cornelius just putting on the ring. You know, hi- historically, and this is totally geeky, I know, but the ring chooses its bearer. And well, I don't I think know that's... if that's because this is like a ring that has all the spectrums in it. Right. Yeah. I think that's what it is, is that the, the, the ring is artificial. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, and and it looks broken too at this point right. when he puts it on. It kind of heals itself throughout the story, but in the beginning, it's it's a broken ring. 
Yeah. Okay. I mean, I see the point. It's it just it, when he put it on, and at first he was a yellow lantern. So I was like, is it a yellow lantern ring? But you know, then you realize that it's the ultimate ring that they're talking about that contains all the spectrums. Um, and so I was like, okay, maybe that's why he can put it on because I was like, why would a yellow ring choose Cornelius? That doesn't seem right. Um, so it, it it makes a little more sense having discussed it with you guys. I, I did really enjoy the confrontation Cornelius has with the the guys who worship the atomic bomb. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, I, I thought that was a nice interchange and, and kind of a, a different resolution to that than what you typically see even in the alternative comics, you know, in the alternative universe comics. Uh, so I, I, I dug it. I, I enjoyed this book. I'll buy the next issue. Yeah, and I like that it's Earth because I had a feeling they would just say this is another planet somewhere. Right. Because it's a Green Lantern book. They could easily do that. Yeah. But I will say, and I know this is outside of continuity, but it there is there's a scene in here between, you know, Hal, Kilowog, and the Guardians. And I, I am constantly drawn to the Guardians are always fucking you over. The Guardians are always not giving you enough information. They're always giving you part of the story. Um, they're always telling you, oh, don't worry about that thing over there in the corner that's lurking is going to wind up destroying all of you. Don't worry about that. That's not a thing. Um I don't understand why they follow those guys. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I truly don't. I mean, if you're getting bad information from your leadership, it's time for new leadership. Now, that yeah. being said, I, I will say one thing that I did appreciate about this book that I had a, a problem with with Tarzan of the Planet of the Apes is accessibility. Mm-hmm. In that if you have a base understanding of Green Lanterns, if you have if you have seen the first Planet of the Apes, you are fine. Right. Yeah. No, this was very yeah. accessible, much more so than Tarzan on the Planet of the Apes. So, Paul. Yes, sir. How accessible was Darth Maul number one? Well, if you've seen episode one, you you are you have all you need to to appreciate Star Wars Darth Maul number one. Um, that being said, I thought this book was garbage. <laughs> um, as it, was episode one. Continue. As was episode one. Written by Cullen Bunn with art by Luke Ross. I was really hoping that this was a story of Darth Maul set after the events of episode one. Um, for those who are not Clone Wars fans um, or fans of um, Star Wars Rebels, Darth, uh, Darth Maul survived the events of the Phantom Menace. Um, he has he has gotten robotic legs. He has lived a long life, and they are currently setting up a final confrontation with Obi-Wan Kenobi um, on Tatooine uh, in, in this season of Star Wars Rebels. A final confrontation between Darth Maul and Obi-Wan Kenobi um, within two or three years before the start of episode four, a new hope is when star Wars rebels is set currently. So Darth Maul has become a very interesting character. Um, thanks to the, to the writers, uh, on, on star Wars, clone wars and star Wars rebels, the best episodes of both series feature Darth Maul. And so I've really grown to love the character, um, more so than him just being a badass Sith in episode one. I say all that to say that all that shit was better <laughs> than the story I got in Star Wars Darth Maul number one, which basically takes place right before Star Wars episode one and reverts to Darth Maul just being a generally angry dude who who has to wait for Palpatine. You know, Palpatine's like, no, 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 we can't show our hand yet. And so Darth Maul gets all pissed and just starts murdering things. And Palpatine's like, stop murdering things. It's 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 bad. I need I need you to be good because we have a plan against the Jedi. And Darth Maul gets all pissed and starts murdering things. It's it's so one note and boring. 
and uninteresting that I was like, really? Like, they didn't learn anything from the stories they're telling in, in their other <laughs> media. This is just like Darth Maul's going to show up at some place and murder something. Um, so it, it is just a, a lame book, honestly. I, I didn't I didn't care for it at all. So I, I will not be picking up any more issues of Star Wars Darth Maul, especially since this goddamn first issue was five dollars. Five dollars. Yeah, I, I totally would have got I totally would have bought that issue if it hadn't been five bucks. Well, the reason I did, you know, it, because even though the first issue of Dr. Afro was for five dollars, I felt like it was worth it. I don't feel like this was worth it. Yeah. Well, and speaking of Dr. Afra, next week in comic stores. Um, we get the new issue of Star Wars Dr. Afra issue four, comes out next week from Marvel Comics. Let's see what else is coming out. The Unworthy Thor number four. I'm a little behind, but I'm going to get caught up, especially since the Unworthy Thor number four featuring Thor, Od- features Odinson battling Thanos' Black Order, Proxima Midnight and Black Swan, who are the only surviving members left of the Black Order. Um, and so I'm... I'm and it says the debut of Odinson's all new look. Uh, so I, I'm definitely going to be picking that issue up. I don't know uh, if you are still reading the book, Aaron. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yes, that one I am. I yeah, am, the yes. unworthy Thor. Yeah, not not, not yes, yeah, the mighty Thor, which I think I'm the only not one. Lady Thor. Yeah, Lady Thor. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, I know that irritates people, but I have to make the distinctions. I'm playing. <laughs> there are with two you. Thor books. Two Thor books. <laughs> Um, also from Marvel Comics is the trade paperback of Mark Miller's and Stuart Amonin's Empress, uh, book one. I kind of fell off the series, but I really liked what I had read. Um, Who the hell publishes that book? Marvel. I, I never seem to find that when it comes out. Yeah, me either. Um, so I, I totally dropped off, I think, after issue two or three because I just stopped being able to yeah. find it. Um, yeah. But, it, you know, it's it's the Icon imprint or Miller's or Miller World imprint, I should say. Yeah. Um, but the, the trade paperback comes out uh, next week. From DC Comics, we get new issues of Action Comics and Detective Comics. This is issue 950 of Detective Comics featuring the League of Shadows prologue. Um, so we, it seems like we're going to get some Rachel Ghoul. Uh, coming our way. Also, we get Justice League of America Rebirth. Um, written I'm by picking Steve that one up. You are? I am picking that up. Yeah, same here. I'm going to give it a shot. Um, you know, it, it. this is a coming out of the pages of uh, Suicide Squad versus Justice League. This is Batman's new Justice League featuring pre-New 52 Lobo, Killer Frost, Vixen, um, the the Ray Blue Beetle. Whoa, pre New Fifty Two Lobo. Yeah, this is this isn't yeah. uh, this isn't emo Lobo. Yeah, I mean, is it? So are you just saying it looks like him, or is it actually pre New Fifty Two? Oh, it's totally like him. Like somehow survived the new universe, like Bastich and all that. I mean, it's it's totally that Lobo. Hmm. Because I have a couple of the uh, rebirth for this Justice League, like the individual, the Ray, and uh, uh, what other one did I pick up? The Adam. The Adam pick- was good. Yeah, I picked up two or three of those, and I haven't read them yet, but if those are good, I'll pick this up with you Yeah, just to I, try it. I'm going to give it a shot. Um, also from DC Comics, Justice League, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number two, which turned out to be surprisingly good. Um, John Romita Jr. takes over as regular artist of the Suicide Squad book. All that and a ton more that we will talk about next week on Funny Books. Very exciting stuff. Whew. And, you know, next week we'll talk about, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll detail our thoughts on uh, President Trump's executive orders because we're going to put politics back into the podcast. Where they belong. Bye, everybody.
<laughs> hey, wait, before we go. And then, before... and then some religion. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we kind of did a little bit of both, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We did a little bit of both, yeah. Before we wrap up, I have a question for you, gentlemen. Oh, dear. Will any of you be watching Powerless, the new DC Comics TV show? I will be watching the premiere of it before next week. Okay, I will too. So we, we'll compare notes on that next week as well. All right, now we can say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.